Welcome to this episode of Better Product Launch, where we're sitting down with a founder to give you an inside look into their new product launch. Today we're talking to Brian Howenstein, VP of Product at Cluster Truck. Cluster Truck is America's first vertically integrated delivery-only kitchen that removes the middleman of third-party delivery apps to revolutionize the way meals are ordered, prepared, and delivered. Brian, it's so good to have you with us today. Yeah, great to be here. Thanks for having me on. Well, just to get started, tell us a little bit about Cluster Truck. So as you mentioned, Cluster Truck is a vertically integrated uh, delivery-only restaurant, commonly called uh, Ghost Kitchen in today's kind of tech parlance. So um, we were founded in 2015, um, opened our first location in 2016. And um, one of our big things is we manage, we use software to kind of manage our service from the beginning to the end. So from the time you order till the time it's in your hands, it's all our software. Um, it's all our people. So we're not going to other restaurants to pick things up. We're not using other services. Um, you're ordering on our software. We use our own software in the kitchens to um, manage how items are cooked. And then we use our own software to manage the delivery in our own um, couriers to get it in your hands. So from top to bottom, it's it's all cluster truck. Why is that important to, to you guys, uh, managing that entire process yourself? What's really important about being vertically integrated and managing the whole process is it lets us do things I think that other services can't. So we make a commitment that your food is usually only it's seven to 10 minutes old by the time it's in your hands. So even if it may take you know, 30 minutes to get to you, we don't start that food cooking until we know where your courier is and a courier is ready to bring it to you. So we know how long each item takes. If items take different amount of times to cook in the kitchen, then we'll start those items at different times. So they should all be finished the same time so that we can hand it to the courier right as they arrive and they're on their way to you. And we keep pretty tight delivery radiuses. So um, that food's not going to be getting old. It's not going to be any cold and soggy in the courier's car. It's going to get to your hands. It's going to be warm. It's going to be fresh, sometimes faster than what it would be if you were in a sit-down restaurant. It's uh, it's just that quick. The focus is so interesting, I think, with Cluster Truck. Again, like you said, you're really, really focused on radiuses because one of the, the core tenants is that the food is really fresh when it gets to you. So like thinking about the the idea and the product, how did you kind of set those boundaries to say, are, we're definitely going to make sure that this is true and therefore we can't deliver everywhere. Like, Talk to me a little bit about those trade-offs. I think it goes back to some of the core problems we set out to solve at the beginning. So there are kind of a few few origin stories uh, of how Cluster Trek came to be and all these things kind of came together to to be what, what ended up being Cluster Trek. So a couple of things. So when our CEO was just first kind of thinking about that idea, one of the things he noticed is... Um, he has a, he had some older kids, some teenagers in the house. And one thing he noticed was that there was always pizza coming to his house. It seems like every night of the week. And he's like, you know what? I'm, I'm really tired of eating pizza all the time. What if as my kids are eating pizza, I can get something else. I could get pad thai. I could get a burger. I could get a salad. What if that could all come to the same thing? So one of our principles being we cook a wide variety of food. We cook everything. I say from pizza to pad thai to burgers to wraps. Um, we cook all of that. It all comes in the same kitchen. That's something that's really important to us. The other thing is he owns a, a restaurant in his hometown of, of Greenfield and kind of the first third-party delivery companies were coming out. He decided to try that out at his restaurant and he started realizing that this was kind of a really bad gig for pretty much everyone involved. So for the restaurant, the third parties would take a uh, pretty hefty commission out of every order that would come in. You know, they would take, you know, 30 20 30 percent out of out of the the ticket price then the the couriers would come in and um they're not getting paid very well and then that goes on to higher prices and then to the end customer and 
you know, when that order first comes into the restaurant, they're going to start cooking it immediately. So all they know is they got an order and they're going to start cooking. And if it takes the courier, you know, 10, 20 minutes to get there, that order is just going to sit and it's going to get old and it's going to get soggy. And uh, by the time it gets to you, you've paid a lot of money for something that's going to end up actually being a pretty subpar product. So that ended up coming down to, you know, our our principles of we're not going to start cooking your food until we know where the where the courier is because we want to make sure that that food is as fresh as possible to when it gets when it gets into your hands. Yeah, and I, we've followed your your all's growth, you know, since the beginning. And and what always struck me is how in the in the beginning when you you came out with Cluster Chuck, a lot of people in the in the indie tech scene, you know, would question like, how are you a tech company? Because at the time, it's like, okay, your your food, you're you're really just a, a restaurant, but as you're talking, it's almost as if the the pro the tech really started on the behind the scenes. It was almost tech enabled, where it seems like the tech that you were building was to ensure that your your product quality what was high all the time. Is that fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's right now. We especially we we really consider ourselves a tech enabled restaurant. And the technology, while we software is really important part of our company, it's the software lets us do things that other restaurants can't. And that's kind of where software is our is that moat builder that lets us you know do those really fast deliveries to keep things really fresh once they get into your hand. So the food and the software are equally important. You know, it's, it doesn't matter how great our software is if we're not if the food's not really great and it doesn't matter how great the food is if our software just gives a really poor experience of delivery so both of those things are really equally important and they're they're both pretty key to to where we've we've gotten to today now it seems like your tech imprint has has broadened a little bit you know through through ordering and things like that i'm curious too as we we sit here today in you know 2021 and you know food delivery has really taken off through grubhub and doordash and things like that and then even restaurants that had to add apps faster than they needed to because it's the only way they're going to get their food. Have you seen any impact or has that changed how you all have had to had to shift your focus as the demands have increased on food delivery? It really hasn't. There's been a little bit, I think there's been shift as to where people are ordering food is I think the biggest difference that we see. And it's brought us, you know, more into the mainstream, whereas the cluster truck was really kind of a it was an occasional thing or um it was not uh something that people would do super often. The pandemic and you know, everyone being at home has really brought food delivery into being a more uh, more frequent service that folks employ. So We've seen a shift as far as, you know, with fewer people being in offices, we see a lot less of the bigger orders going to, you know, companies and offices and a lot more to to people actually going at home. But it's been more of a of a shift, I think, rather than um, especially that we see on our side. Do you feel like you have to compete with those other services? Because it's almost like you have no one, no one seems to be doing what you're doing as far as the kind of the vertically, vertically integrated piece of it. But you do have competitors kind of at all, all the spaces are obviously there are other restaurants, obviously there are other delivery services. So how does that work? Kind of how do you think about the, the competition? Yeah, I think our competition, maybe we think about it a little bit differently. And to be honest, in all of our delivery areas, you know, even though they're they're somewhat on the smaller side, we'd make the uh, hypothesis that we're probably the most popular delivery service in each one of those. We'd probably outcompete, um, you know, DoorDash, Grubhub, Uber Eats in our areas because we think we provide just that much better of a service. But um, to us, competition isn't necessarily just the other food delivery services. You know, competition for us may be cooking at home. Competition for us may be, you know, bringing your lunch to work. It may be, you know, running down to the sandwich shop on the first floor of your building. Um, competition is all those kind of things. So that's, we kind of think of it a little bit more from a, 
I guess, a first principles standpoint, rather than just saying, you know, Cluster Truck is competing against, uh, you know, DoorDash, Grubhub, Uber Eats, you know, Postmates, that kind of a thing. What I would love to dive into a little bit, because you're in the position of overseeing product, is how you handle product growth for a product that is very geographically tied. You're in Indianapolis, you've experimented in new markets, you've had to expand here. I'd love to understand how, maybe just tell our listeners how you've had to grow the product since it has to be with a geographic radius and then how you weigh those things. Yeah, that's that's been a very interesting problem. So one of our, I guess, core competitive advantages and our struggles is that very tight delivery radius. So it's somewhat difficult to market hyper locally, especially uh, in our case where we're, we can sometimes be in, uh, you know, our delivery area doesn't even encompass, you know, it could go run right through the middle of a zip code. It can run right through the middle of uh, postal routes. So it's not, there's not super well-defined areas that makes it really easy to digitally advertise. So some of the traditional, you know, I guess growth levers that we've tried in the past have had varying amounts of success depending on what stage we're in. So take something like a referral program. Referral programs, you need the people that you want to refer to have a lot of people they know who could use the product. So um, in a more traditional, maybe digital product where anyone who has an internet connection can probably be the target market of who you could refer, our initial referral program, you're you're really only limited to those who you know who also live in our delivery area. So um, it becomes very challenging. As we shifted some of our focus from instead of just launching individual kitchens in downtown markets across the country instead let's say we're going to go saturate a market you know say we're going to cover all of indianapolis rather than trying to put a kitchen you know one kitchen in indianapolis one kitchen in columbus one kitchen in kansas city Um, once we start saturating market the probability that you're going to know someone else who can use our product goes up quite a bit so our referral program became a lot more effective once we had more kitchens in a market and then even as we were still you know, even still in the early days, we found a really interesting growth lever was we were really good at group orders. So some of our core principles worked really well for that. And that traditionally, say you have, you know, five, 10 people in an office who want to grab lunch. The first thing you got to do is you got to figure out where are we ordering from? You know, what kind of food do you want? You have to choose your your restaurant. So with Cluster Truck, since we have such a wide variety of items, the conversation changes. You don't have to pick where you're ordering from. First, you just know I'm going to order from Cluster Truck and everyone can still get what they want. So, if we have one person in an office who, you know, likes Cluster Truck and suggests, you know, let's try Cluster Truck, then by them getting a bunch of other folks on a group order, all of a sudden that kind of acts as a, a little bit of a backdoor referral program where all these people are going to get to try Cluster Truck for the first time on this group order through a trusted referral. And a lot of times those folks will then go and order Cluster Truck on their own from home or and other places they're at. So that ended up being a referral program where we kind of bake in that hyper local aspect where we know you're going to be able to refer people because there are going to be people who are actually nearby you. And that was, you know, kind of a little twist that we put on that to make that referral program work. And then we put some some additional incentives. We have a kind of a rewards program called Cluster Points, where there's a, a little twist on group orders where you obviously you get you earn points by people who you refer. But if you start a group order and get people to order on your order, you earn points for the money they spend, not just the money that you spend. So kind of incentivize that grouping up experience, which in, which additionally then uh, gets us more and more customers to to try it through that kind of trusted referral source. You mentioned growth levers that that tried, and, and those are some of the works. What are some growth levers that some really common ones? Maybe thinking about product that you tried that just like it didn't didn't quite work for what you were trying to do. I'd say the referral ones was a big one, um, especially those initial phases. You know, it's 
especially just trying to do the kind of the standard referral programs that you you typically see in um, in kind of the online products. Digital marketing was very difficult just because the targeting was so tough in the small areas where you know for immature platforms closest you could target maybe a city where um, the more mature platforms you could still target um, you know zip codes or things like that even then you're still not getting a super specific area so that was a, a real big challenge some of the the other ones you know if you do things like trying to get people to um, you know to try and order more frequently or you run into a lot of issues just where um, there's only so much you can eat you only want to eat at certain times so you run into to a little bit of issues about you have to be in the exact right place at the right time in order to get some of those to work so it's just a little bit more challenging than than some of the traditional products this ties into where i i was curious too with um with regards to your brand voice and the reason why it ties to me is because as i've I've never been in, I've never lived in a cluster trucks delivery zone, but I have gone and eaten cluster truck at another company's office or at a, at a friend's house. And what I observed even in myself is how much that like really elevates the brand of cluster truck in my mind. It just like slowly just like keeps just creating this desire that like it can't wait until I can have that. And so I think that from the outside, we, I, I was joking earlier about you know, your sad tie campaign that the brand voice and cluster truck through emails and everything has always been really distinct and, and, and really intentional. Uh, has that played into what you oversee with product at all? I think so a little bit, especially some of the, I you know there's in some of our brand voice, it's a little bit irreverent. It's a little bit, uh, you know, personal. It's a little bit, um, or I guess, you know, rebellious. We feel like, you know, you should go out there and, you know, and pick an enemy and kind of and fight against it. And some of that's gotten to the product about thinking about, I want ordering cluster truck to be as easy as if I walked up to the counter at Chipotle or Subway and was just placing an order. You know, that's that's the ease, the end goal that we're trying to get to. You know, there's um, the quote that I always thought about from uh, Mitch Hedberg had the thing where he was, you know, said, I bought a donut. They gave me a receipt for the donut. I don't need a receipt for the donut. You know, I'll give you money and you give me uh, the donut, you know, into transaction. And, um, you know, I started thinking about, you know, like, why do I need an email and password to order food? You know, there's not nuclear codes behind this, you know, account. So we built our login process this super simple from give us a phone number, we text you a number and you're logged in. And, uh, you know, with some of the modern phones, I can do it in one handed, uh, you know, in, in five seconds, I can log in and get started ordering cluster trucks. So I think those little features where we, we try and be like, what's the, what would be the human version of this? Or what's the most simple way we can accomplish this? Uh, we, we try to translate through into the product. I really like that. What's the human version of this? Which like sounds really obvious, but you're right. Like there's a lot of these, you know, things we take for granted and, and going back and rethinking, like, why do we do the things that we do when we order? Or why, why, why do you need a username and password? I really like that. I think that's one of the things that I really noticed when the market that uh, of people who can use cluster truck is really anyone with a cell phone who's in our area is who essentially our market is that can use cluster truck. And that's, that's different, I think, than a lot of B2B products and something that we learned very early on is that, you know, our, our market is just so wide and diverse and varied that um, there's all sorts of folks who use us from the very, very tech literate to the, to people using uh, um, cell phones is, you know, it's not second nature. So we would try and make things just as, as simple as possible and as straightforward as possible and remove as many challenges as we can. I feel like I was thinking as you were talking too, when you mentioned Chipotle, who I think actually has a pretty good mobile app, but it got me, you know, thinking back to when the way Cluster Truck started with tech in the in the background. That there's almost 
an advantage that you have not being being unencumbered by having a brick and mortar that then you're going digital and then thinking how do you change your cooking everything you've done has been to be you know i guess it's almost like these d2c brands like casper or warby parker that are just you know starting there first i don't actually have a question but i just it's just <laughs> striking me as I, as you were talking yeah and i think we've we've tried to orient ourselves as much as possible to think from you know what is the cluster truck way to do this to even you know i think customer service is a great example in that um something that we can do that the other services can't do is when someone has an issue or when we mess up, we fix the problem instead of just offering you a refund. So, um, you know, if something goes wrong with your DoorDash order or Grubhub, a lot of times they're going to be like, you know, oh, I'm sorry, here's a credit for next time. Well, if you have a hamburger, that's not what you ordered, that doesn't do you any good to have this thing that you ordered and maybe you can't eat or, you know, that you don't want, we're going to get you what you actually want. And we can do that because it's our kitchen, it's our drivers, it's our system. And if you have a service problem, all you do is you just text the number that you got your delivery text from, and we answer very quickly and we'll solve the problem and get you a new one, you know, in like 10 minutes. So that's a, a big, you know, kind of line in the sand that we drew with this, like based on the way we've oriented our product and our software, here's things that we can do that, that no one else can do. As you've grown alongside this company in your role, what's the biggest learning that you've taken away so far? The, the thing that surprised you the most as you, you've grown Cluster Truck? So an interesting one, and I think misunderstanding we had when we first started picking locations in, in our growth path for Cluster Truck was we saw, I think, a density and really tall buildings as being kind of the holy grail for a cluster truck. We want to be in a downtown area with a lot of people. And obviously the more people, the more people we can market to and the more customers and, and, and the better we'll be. But we didn't really think about what problem that cluster truck was necessarily solving in that context. So if there's a lot of people in big, tall buildings in a downtown area, food is a lot of times really close to them. You know, I said they can ride the elevator down to the first floor of their building and it's really easy to get to. So one thing we noticed once we start looking at who was actually ordering cluster truck was there were some of these office buildings that were kind of a little bit of a food desert, you know, three or four blocks where um, there wasn't anything around where you still had to get in your car to go find food that we kind of coined this term internally called no fam, which was no food around me, which cluster truck tended to do really, really well. So even though we were in a downtown area, you still had to hop in your car to go get food. Delivery did did really, really well. So um, when we first started picking locations, we were looking for, you know, these downtown areas, lots of big tall buildings, lots of people around when instead we should be looking for these areas where we can really solve people's people's problems better. And I think that once we able to figure figure that out, we we made a lot better decisions about where we were going. And uh, I think it's paid off. How did you figure that out? What was it? Was it the analytics? Was it just looking at orders? Did you have researchers out there? It's a lot of both. So um, we have a, a data scientist on our team um, who did a lot of work at just looking where are our orders going. You know, if when we first started looking at our board, we have a board where we can watch all the orders as they go by every day. And we're like, you know, a lot of orders to go into this building. What's going on? And, you know, start diving in a little more and you look at the heat maps of where are we delivering? And there's certain places that kind of disproportionately disproportionate to density we're ordering quite a bit and you're like you know what's what's going on to these at these places and it ended up being we looked closer and it's places where there just wasn't other food options around which kind of goes back to who we compete against you know we compete against really you know any other a food provider in the area not just other delivery companies yeah so backing up one step what sparks your data scientists even look at that meaning had you identified a problem did you say hey what what's going like we're not seeing the growth that we want or is it somebody just randomly a light bulb goes off like 
I know this is a very specific question, but I think a lot of our, our listeners are always trying to understand like, when is that, how do you actually know when to sort of dive in to uncover those sorts of things? Was it problem oriented or just almost curiosity oriented? Is a little bit of both. So from, we had noticed a little bit of a problem where we were constantly sending, we were sending orders to the same buildings that weren't grouping up. So, you know, we have a fixed delivery price every time we send an order out the door. So it's, it's much more economically effective for us to send all those orders you know, or for all those people to get on a group order rather than send individually. So we're initially like, you know, why are we sending all these orders to the same place and they're not on group orders? And that led us to dig in a little bit deeper to figure out exactly what was going on. And I think we've seen so many of those problems come up that it wasn't necessarily a problem that was just yelling at us in the face that this is something we need to solve, but more of a, you're noticing like, huh, that's funny. I wonder what's going on there. And you do a little bit more investigation and you find out uh, that there's a pattern and there's a reason and there's something that we can, that we can solve for here. So what, what are you all planning for cluster truck? What are you looking forward to most? What's next for us is expansion. So we've had a lot of time working with these kitchens that we have. And I think we've, we've kind of figured out that the, the next places to go is to get cluster truck in the hands of, of more people. So, you know, we're looking to expand out in the uh, existing markets that we're in. So in uh, Indianapolis, Columbus, Ohio, Kansas City, you know, add more, more cluster trucks so we can serve more of the market and then identify what are those markets that are next for cluster truck? What, what are the places that we can serve and um, what are places that look uh, similar to where we, where we are right now? How do you make that determination? I mean, I can sort of just like eyeball and be like, oh, okay, Columbus, Indianapolis, Kansas City. When you look for new markets, are there, do you, do you have a good sense for characteristics you're, you're looking for or do you, pick the city and just find which area of the city makes the most sense? It's some of both. A little bit of his, his gut intuition, but there's a lot of data behind it too. One of our uh, kind of initial thoughts when going to expansion was to look at kind of what we call the second tier cities. So we're not looking at New York. We're not looking at Chicago. We're not looking at LA, San Francisco. There's a very expensive places with other players who are spending a lot of marketing money where it's like, we'll let them have them and let them fight each other. And uh, we'll take the rest of the country while they're doing that. So places that look like Indianapolis. So um, cities that are larger, they're growing they're growing quite a bit. You know, downtowns are revitalizing. Um, Indianapolis and Columbus look very similar. Kansas City is another one that's a lot like that. And so really looking at those cities where, you know, we can really come in and land and kind of expand pretty quickly. So Brian, can you talk a little bit about kind of the process for the the couriers, like the food deliverers? I know that's, we've heard a lot about that in some of the other food delivery systems. I'm curious kind of how yours is different or how you think about it differently. We made it a priority from the start that um, couriers were going to be one of our core constituencies. So we learned early on talking to uh, talking to existing gig workers that there wasn't a lot of respect paid to that particular position by a lot of the other companies. You know, they weren't paid well. It was a rough job and it had really high turnover. So you know, you know the folks who were working at DoorDash and Grubhub and Uber Eats they wouldn't last long, and in turn, they had to pay a lot to keep recruiting those uh those couriers you know over and over and over again that you know if if you're ordering DoorDash or you know one, one of the other services you're probably not going to see the same delivery person more than once just because they turn over so quickly so we decided what if we took the worst gig job in America and made it the best gig job in America so we really prioritized our system to make sure that they get as many jobs per hour as they can or as we can provide them so that they make more money they um they're treated better and um we have in turn less turnover. So we don't have to spend a whole bunch of money recruiting drivers over and over again. So we have some kind of core principles that we went, went by with 
couriers aren't always getting out of their car to go into restaurants and retrieve food. You know, they pull up to our kitchens, we hand it to them. They never have to get out of their car. Same thing on the other end, when they bring it to the customer, uh, we drew the line in the sand where one of the great things about cluster truck is we have no delivery fees. So essentially we, we have the principle of, we're not going to charge you into delivery fee in exchange. We just ask you, you meet the courier at the curb. So they're not going to have to find parking. They're not going to have to run up to an apartment. They're going to have to try and find folks. You're going to meet them at the curb and in turn, they can make that delivery faster, get back to the kitchen and they can take another delivery. So by treating our couriers well and making sure that we optimize all of our software to ensure that they're successful, we think that gives customers a better end experience. And we actually found that a little bit where we discovered, especially in Indianapolis, that our experienced couriers would make deliveries almost a minute faster than our less experienced couriers because they become more familiar with the area. They're able to manage the process better. And so the customer gets a a better experience in the end. That's really cool to hear. And I want to ask this, but I want to grant this by saying I am on board with everything you're saying with your approach to everything. But I want to put on my my black hat and ask, what is the overall business impact of this whole, I almost want to say, holistic approach that you all have, like quality ingredients, good food, the treating couriers well, fresh food, all of these things. For, for a lot of people, I think in traditional business mindset, it, it feels like, well, that's going to just cost a lot of money. Like almost how do you make money as a company? But I'd like to hear your perspective on how all of that isn't just a, oh, this is cool and nice to have and how it, you can actually build a viable business around the, that approach. So I think it's worked out rather well for us. So we have this interesting growth chart that we use a lot of a lot internally that's kind of a ratio of our every month our new customers to our returning customers. And what's really fascinating is it, it uh our new customer as long as we keep we keep bringing in new customers and our return customer chart just keeps going up and to the right. So we think by building this system so that it gives the customer a great end experience. We're reducing our marketing costs too, and they're going to be more likely to come back and come back faster. So we have a very loyal customer base. Um, I'm always really impressed and very uh, and very thankful just how how loyal our customers are and how often they they uh, they want to order from us. And even when things go wrong, they uh, they care very loudly at us, but they still really like Cluster Truck. And at the end, they they still want to come back. And there are some things where. Uh, some business minded folks might say, you know, this is a cost that, you know, why, why are we incurring this cost? And just say, you know, in the end, it may be little costs here and there, but in the long term, they really add up. And, you know, I think we've architected the best business so that long term profitability is very important to us. And this isn't necessarily a uh, let's grow as big as possible and then figure out how to be profitable. One of our priorities is let's be profitable from the start and then let's figure out how to grow. And um, it's, it's working out really well to, uh, to this point. So one big thing I took from that is, uh, I mean, it's pretty much the first thing you said, but I mean, they started this, this was, they were software from the beginning. So the software runs the kitchens, the software, how people order and the software for the couriers. And I think that like, it it definitely obviously is a, like he said, it's a competitive advantage for them, but I think it's also how really interesting how it's almost a disadvantage as well that because they have to be so hyper local, it's just an interesting kind of product challenge that they have to solve. Two things I think related to that. One, you were just talking about the the tech as a focus. I think we've we've talked about this scene before about how you know good AI and good tech should really like be enhancing humanity a little bit. Whereas there's still always this fear or certain you know types of people that want to just optimize everything, like optimize people out of it. 
but they added technology to enhance everything else. And I think that's, that's what really came out in everything you said from the, from the couriers, you know, you know, the, the cooks, you know, the ordering, all of that is integrated so well with tech. It makes a much better experience rather than, you know, taking, you know, away. They're not, well, I don't know. We didn't ask them that, but they're not trying to create driving robots around, but maybe, you know, maybe, I don't know. That's a good point. I mean, I I like the way you say that because yeah, you're right. We definitely hear it the other way, like efficiency optimize, you know, it was never like, we will make a, a digital kitchen and there's no people there. And then it'll be like, you know, driverless cars saying, yeah, it was always like, we believe we can create the best food and you know, treat people very, very well. And technology is going to let us do that amazingly. It was never about replacement. It's just all, you're right. It's all about uh, empowerment. And I don't want to criticize other because I don't use Uber a lot myself, but I, I'm at least aware of the issues around the gig economy and how people get treated. You see that with a lot of things, even down to, you know, Amazon distribution warehouses. So I, I don't know. I'm not making a value judgment on anybody, but I think the fact that cluster truck, you know, puts emphasis on their couriers uh, shows that it's in the DNA. So it's not just a like, oh, we treat our people well. Like they've actually, when, when he talked about things like, you know, we ask you to meet the driver, you know, things like that, or though those are all things that I think really sort of back up that stance that, yeah, we, we're trying to be the best gig economy. So I, I really appreciated that as well. That seemed in contrast to what you may hear in a lot of the other platforms that are leveraging, you know, gig economy jobs. It's, it's almost like, I mean, it, obviously they have a focus on the user experience because they want that ordering to be easy and seamless, but it also feels like they, it's like their user experience for every single person that touches their technology, the couriers, you know, the ordering. I would, I'm really curious what their kitchen, <laughs> we didn't get really get into the kitchen technology, but I would imagine that there is thought to the people who are actually using it. And I would assume it, it's, it, it itself probably has its own like intuitive mission efficiencies as well. The other part of what you brought up was their growth of it being, uh, I can't remember exactly how you said it, but it was the whole focus on quality and the growth and all that has been kind of a limiting factor. They've had to grow more slowly because of that. But I thought that was an interesting thing too, because even though this is one of the more unusual is the right word, but it sounds weird to say. So usually I would say unique, it's unique. And it, so far, they are a unique guest on our show. We haven't had anybody in this space, but it's also very different for our listeners because it's food delivery. But I think that there's something to be said about the way he talked about saturating a market to make sure that they're like able to handle referrals and quality really, really well, rather than going here, here, and here, a bunch of different places, not handling delivery well, and not being able to really leverage the referrals which is very important for them because they're high quality food that you're going to refer somebody to ask. So I, I really liked that, but but you did hit on the fact that it it kind of limits their growth in, in some ways. Yeah, that, the idea that you can't really market hyper-locally, but he didn't say this, but it almost felt like he was falling back, like they're falling back on some more traditional, like you talked about growth levers, traditional growth levers, like billboards and mailers. I know I like when they came to Broad Ripple, I know I got a coupon mailer that I was very happy to use. But it, it, those are probably probably the only way they could be hyper local is those kind of, you know, more traditional marketing methods. You know, that's funny you said that. I didn't think about the fact that, you know, then they can buy billboards in their delivery radius. And it reminds me of like going on road trips as a kid and like you go south and like, at least for me, uh, last year when we took a road trip down to Florida, I ate at a Zaxby's for the first time because we don't have them in Indianapolis. And it was 
it was really amazing. And, but uh, growing up, there were like when it switches over to like Carl's Jr. from Hardy's, like there's all these like food markers that let you know when you've like entered a new place. So you're right. Those traditional means really, really work together. But it again makes it hard to see it as a tech company, which I guess if I were to hit on one last thing was running through my head was these future of a lot of these consumer based tech companies won't necessarily feel like a tech company anymore. It's like, you know, Warby Parker is a tech company, but it's eyeglasses. So is it? I don't know. They can only really do what they do because of tech. Is Cluster Truck a tech company? I mean, it's food. Is it food delivery? It's, it's, it's getting hard to categorize a lot of these companies, which is awesome because it basically means they're using tech in a way that makes it very hard to figure out like what it means to the consumer. And I don't think an end consumer would ever think of Cluster Truck as a tech company. They just don't care. They just like, I'm ordering food from Cluster Truck. They probably put it with their other food delivery apps on their phone, you know, things like that. So that's, that's really interesting to think about. Is this what people mean when they say it's like software is going to eat the world or software is eating the world? Well, yeah. Or like software, like you're going to eat cluster truck or something. Mm. Like for oh, dinner. that's yeah. Sorry. That's the phrase. <laughs> I got that wrong. Well, he said that Andreessen said that I don't remember when, so I'm not going to say when, but I just read an article that was basically saying like, it's true. Software has eaten the world. Now we're hitting this, this next phase. So yeah, you're right. It ate the world and spit out now all these. Now suggesting it. <laughs> yeah. Now, I guess I wonder, I, I, what, what I should have asked is like, will they have a pull up and order just like Warby Parker and Casper and all these D to C companies are o- opening, you know, stores. I wonder if they'll ever do that. I know they have a physical presence. Like you can see their kitchen and stuff like that. And it's heavily branded, but I wonder if they'll ever like go down that path. That's a good question. Yeah. It's funny. Like, does, does it all circle back? listening to the show this week. If you're looking for more resources on how to design, build, market, and sell better products, then head over to betterproduct.community to join, well, the community. And as always, we're curious, what does better product mean to you? Shoot us an email at podcasts at innovatemap.com. 